Hello and welcome to the August 12th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It's great to have everybody here with me tonight, because it is the evening time in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and of course, it's good to be out there with you. So I am trying to be upbeat, trying to be um, good-spirited, trying to be positive for my audience. Because Mr. Joe is down in the dumps, and I am putting on a show right now. There's no doubt about that, and I don't mean a podcast show. I mean a show, a false sense of who I really am. Now, while my mood has changed a little bit over the course of the day and gotten a little bit better in terms of my outlook on life, i got to say, for the most part, I have been a miserable unbearable, unconsolable human being since my termination, or if you want to call it a resignation. I try to be positive. I try to put a smile on my face. I try to think of what might be that there is a reason as to why this happened in my life. There's a reason why I lost medical benefits and dental benefits and vision benefits and lost a great job and was told for seven years that I was the best at what I did. And it's amazing how it's almost linear to my life as a young boy because for my entire life, I was told that I was the best at everything. I was made to believe that I was the best at everything. And by God, I'm telling you, at this job of mine, I was made to believe that I was the best at everything. I never, ever got a bad review. or a, um, I don't even know what you call it, employee evaluation. I got bonus after bonus. There was never a single incident at my place of employment. Nothing. Nothing other than, of course, the allegation that I have no idea where it came from. And the allegation that came in a couple of years ago. Um, but I'm going to get into that in a second. I want to let you know that I went to an interview on Friday. And it was not exactly what I expected. And what I mean by that is, once again, Mr. Joe... Um, who uh, maybe I have a false perception of who I am and what I am. Maybe I just think I'm great. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm in manic mode. I don't know. In, in a, maybe I'm in a mixed state. It, it, it's amazing because we get to a point sometimes, whether we're medicated or whether we're not medicated, that we start to guess or second-guess ourselves. And what I was trying to say before is my entire childhood, I was made to believe that I was great at everything. 
only to be disappointed later on in life, made to believe that I was great for seven years at a place of employment, only to be disappointed in the end. And once again, I went into this interview because I had spoken to somebody on the phone that owned this company for over an hour before I went in for the interview, and I perceived her to tell me something different than what transpired on Friday. Now, granted, the person that I met with on Friday was the other owner of the company that I went to see, but I got off the phone with that first owner, and I was convinced that I was going to have an offer on the table. Now, I will say this. I was there for almost two hours. That's a long time to be somewhere. That's a long time to talk with somebody. As a matter of fact, this co-owner, not only did I know the person that I spoke on the phone with, but I knew this person as well. We actually have gone away together several years in a row. Now, we've never really chatted, but, you know, we definitely knew each other, and we had a great conversation. Uh, I think in, in terms of an interview, if you want to call it an interview, and it was a very laid-back interview, very much so in the way that I would conduct my interview. I mean, we're in the same business, same industry. The way she acted is exactly the way that I would have acted in an interview, kind of free-flowing, make it feel comfortable. And in the end, I was told that the things that she liked about me was that I want to do a little bit of everything. I want to be in the schools. I want to be behind the desk. I want to be out training. I want to be out speaking. And she likes that I want to do all those things. But she also said that she's really more um, interested in my administrative skills, my ability to write contracts, my relationships that I've made with very important people in the industry. I thank God for those relationships, really. Thank goodness. Though, if, if I was to say one good thing that I got out of that place that I worked at is that I developed some amazing relationships with, with professionals and, and superintendents and special education directors and principals and all kinds of people that, to this day, I know that I could put every single one of them down as a reference. And... There would be nothing but very positive things to say about Mr. Joe, which is what drives me even more crazy about this termination. I just, my wife and I cannot wrap our brains around it. I cannot stress any more. And I know I'm harping on this, and I shouldn't be. It's time for me to move on. I have to move on. I have to get over this. I listened to my last podcast. And I made it sound, at the end, as if I was going to move on and be positive. Let me tell you something. I, I bragged about how easy it was to get health insurance through the state. It's not easy. I was wrong. It's not going to be easy. It's not. So my outlook on my life is not a good one. Now... I am absolutely been depressed at times, but I would call it unemployment depression. As a matter of fact, I can pinpoint a particular time, which was earlier today, as I was in the bathroom getting ready to brush my teeth, just so everybody knows <laughs> that it was a real incident. It was a real time of day. It was a real Mr. Joe moment in which right before I took my hand and grabbed that toothbrush, 
I thought about not being here anymore. I thought about what it would be like for me to commit suicide. I did. Now, I'm still here, and I snapped out of it within seconds because I thought to myself, and this is the rational thinking that we can do when we are medicated, I need to be here to support my family. They're not going to make it without me. They are not. Eventually they'll move on. I mean, everybody makes it in one way or another, but why am I going to make their lives even more difficult than it's already been? I put my two older children through hell, literally through hell, as they watch their father, unmedicated, smash doors, break glass, punch holes in walls, curse, yell, drink, do drugs, which they wouldn't even know about, while I smoked marijuana in the basement, blowing it out a basement window, thinking that 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 did any good every single day before work in order to keep my head level, so I thought. Fought with my ex-wife, screamed, yelled, ran around the house. I mean, these children saw this all. Got removed from my home, order of protection against my wife, or my wife against me, ex-wife, I apologize. And, um, you know, unemployed at a during a particular time in my life then to the point where I sat down in a government related place and they took one look at me and they told me that they would grant me disability right there then on the spot that's how messed up I was and that's how insane that I mean I must have had the word wackadoo flashing across my forehead literally I mean, because they were ready to sign me up for disability, and I remember it being like 900 bucks a month. And I said, well, you know, I can't support a family on that. Uh, did I get medicated? No. No, I never got medicated. Instead, I just, I just pushed through, and it's amazing. I think about all those quote-unquote years of stability afterwards, after I came off all those medications and stopped doing all those drugs. And when I think back... I was still messed up even then. You just don't realize it. You kind of find the strength to pull through. But deep down inside, you're doing things that you would normally never do. Like sharing posts on Facebook and sharing your life with everybody. And God, there's so many things that I can go over that are not even worth your time right now as an audience. But, you know, business ventures that I try to engage in business ventures that I ruined, business ventures that I blamed others for when now when I think about it, when I'm medicated, I say, it was all my fault. The emails that I would write, I was given opportunity after opportunity during a time when I had no employment, when I was thrown out of my house by the sheriffs because my ex-wife got an order of protection against me and uh, I messed up every opportunity. And again, I guess that's what makes it so hard now is because for the first time in my life, I didn't mess up. I did not mess up. So that's it. I got to move on. 
and I'll keep saying that to myself, and probably next podcast I'll still be whining and moaning about this situation, but eventually I'll get past it. And Friday was a positive experience. I really thought that I was going to walk out of there, and here's, here's where the issue came. I thought I was going to walk out of there with an offer. I was convinced, and I th- it, that didn't mean that I was going to like the offer. But I was convinced that I was going to walk out of there with an offer. And I have to tell you, the door is not closed on this place because I was told that the lines of communication will be kept open and will be in contact in a week or so. Here's the problem. The medical benefits are for garbage. I mean, it's not going to work. It's really not. You know, unless they can offer me $100,000 as a salary, it's, it's just not going to work. But here's the interesting thing. And I thought it was important I shared this with you. Now, I spoke a little bit about the allegation, the anonymous allegation, which became to be obviously false, which ultimately led to them investigating me and finding out that I accidentally put a wrong date on a place of employment seven years ago. Other than that allegation, I I mentioned a situation a couple of years ago, I think it was about four years ago, in which there was another allegation and I was suspended with pay because it was such a ridiculous allegation and it, it was very sad, somebody who was intoxicated and you could tell he was mumbling and slurring his words, said a horrible, horrible thing about me that I was running up and down the hallway with my penis out raping little boys and little girls horrible thing to say. Meanwhile, I was, I was in the high school, so I don't even know where they got little boys and little girls. They were not little boys and little girls. They were big kids. Big kids who I absolutely adored. I really did. Who were good, good kids who came. They came from horrible homes in this particular district. They came from horrible homes. Drug-filled homes. Homes where they would have 20 relatives sleeping in the same room. And I loved those kids. I did. And I was accused of this. Again, the the school backed me up. They even wanted me back. But my company, at that time, they protected me. They stuck up for me. And they said, no, as bad as you want Mr. Joe back, you're not getting him. We're not putting him in a position. You know why? Probably because I made about $30,000 less, so they were willing to keep me, so they could get everything out of me that they could. And I also mentioned, and here's the big point here that I'm trying to make, is I mentioned to you guys that my thought process was somebody that was employed in our company who was fired also a couple of years before me, or around that time, I felt because I, I don't want to use the word invaded, but I took over the place, that particular school where she was working, I really thought, to be honest, that that person got somebody to do that to me, set me up in a way where they thought they could hurt me. And believe it or not, that same person who I accused of doing that, I actually did a podcast about that person. And I believe it was factitious disorder. I believe that was the one. So I did an entire podcast, for the most part, centered around, and although maybe I mentioned horror a couple of times, 
and never getting into great detail about her. That was what it was centered around. And here is how odd life works. This person that I mentioned, I mean, if you could believe this, and this is, this is a God's honest, true story. While I was waiting for my interview on Friday, I had my head down. All of a sudden, I hear, Mr. Joe, I look up, and it's that woman, it's that person, the person that I accused of making somebody make allegations against me, somebody who I did a podcast about, somebody who I talked about, made fun of when she was gone. And there she was. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. And while she wasn't there for an interview, she was there to get some kind of supervision, which I'm not going to get into right now. She really should not have been there because she works for a different company. Um, and she's kind of going outside her company to get some free stuff from this company because she happens to know the owner. But we talked for a very long time. I knew her family. I knew her kids. She knows mine. She knows my wife. She knew my wife a hell of a lot longer than I knew her. And the entire time, all I could think about is what I thought she did to me. But then I came home, and I I don't know. I I had second thoughts about whether I was right or wrong. And then all of a sudden today, I get a text message, and it's from her. And she says, hey, how did the interview go? And we started typing back and forth, and ultimately, here's what came out of it. If I don't get a full-time job in a school, which is what I am gearing up for and hoping for, I believe I mentioned that I will have to go back to my own independent self-employment business. Well, she happens to work for a place that does all that, And I've already secured my in, so to speak, with that particular company just by having her on my side. So if I need some work, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. And here's the other thing. The very last text message she sent me, she said, you know, I know you want independent work, but... I've been in a certain school for the last five years, and I know they're hiring for special education teachers. Why don't you email me your resume? That's what she says to me. I mean, so, you know, maybe this is the door that's opening, everybody. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm man enough to admit that I I thought the worst about this girl. I really did. And for some reason, this person who I thought contributed to ruining my life could potentially be the one to save my life right now. As crazy as that sounds. So life is, is, it works in very, very funny ways. It really does. And here's one thing that I could say about life. One of the reasons why I wanted to record this podcast, because I did say that we were going to get back to mental health and talking about some of the situations that, um, 
go on with us with bipolar disorder, some of the things that we might suffer from. If you listen back to Anxiety 101, I spoke about my experiences with anxiety when I was a young man. Namely, in college, I went through nine months of anxiety. And I've also bragged a lot about the fact that since then I have not had any anxiety other than some afternoon anxiety that was happening at one point. Well, I could tell you all right now that over the last week or so since I have been dealing with this situation and it's gotten progressively worse because what started out as anxiety, I'd say we spoke, you and myself, my audience and myself, we spoke on Friday or, oh good God, I don't even know, um, maybe Thursday. Well, listen, the last time we spoke, the anxiety was there, but it was not overwhelming. And I could tell you right now that ever since we've last spoke, I have been experiencing panic attacks. Very short ones, thank goodness. Uh, they're not lasting a long time, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I am medicated and because I've been down this road before. And I am... Uh, it's amazing because... I now know, based on my prior experience and the way that I beat anxiety and panic attacks, that it is all in my head. But I will tell you that it has not happened in a long time where, you know, my heart's beating out of my chest, I'm dizzy, shortness of breath, and put the racing thoughts in there, which, you know, I guess are, they're just, they're undeniable at this point in time because all I think about is what is going to happen and what my life will be like. You know, it became very true when the mail came and they told me that I can continue my health coverage, which I feel very fortunate about. But guess what? <laughs> to cover to cover my family, it's $2,000 a month. $2,000, and that's a good deal. That's to continue with everything that I had from my previous place of employment. So i got to figure things out. I really have to do. But here I am experiencing these panic attacks. And while I was able to talk myself through most of the symptoms, I will tell you this, that heartbeat feeling, that nervous feeling that I just could not shake, it would not go away no matter what. And today is the first day that I have not had to use Clonopin in the middle of the day. First day. And I had a great day today. We actually went to some little nature preserve place. My wife and my little guy, Mickey. It was cute. It was birds and reptiles. And it cost five bucks a piece to get in. You know, and then we, um, there was even a couple of foxes there. It was very cute, you know. We're not talking about this big Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey circus thing. Okay, but we're... We're talking about a, um, you know, cute little place. You run around and uh, very small, but certainly enjoyable. And then afterwards, it started to rain in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and we took him to the mall, and we ended up going to some game place, I guess you can call it, where you can play games. And he doesn't know any better. It's really cute. You know, if there's a car that you could drive in, normally you got to pay. He'll just sit in it. 
<laughs> turn the wheel. And at this age, you, you get away cheap because you don't have to buy any tokens or spend any money. Whereas if my two older kids were there, I, I would, I would be asking if I could work in that place to make money for the amount of money that I'd have to spend on them. Which leads me to the behavior of my ex-wife and what she has been putting me through. I mean, every single day it's another text message because she now knows that I'm home. And it's all these things that she wants me to do during the week in terms of taking care of my children, and I don't mind. Listen, I don't mind. If she's got to work and I don't, I should be the one taking them to their, for their blood work and their eyes and all those things. But my plan is to be working, not this week, but by next week, because this week I've got to get everything prepared for work. Because if I don't get a job this week or land an interview, whether I land an interview or not, I have to start working independently to make some money. That's it. So she, among all the, the, the annoying things that she's been texting me about, none of which make any sense. It's almost like she wants to be my buddy again. And I know why she wants to be my buddy, because she's scared to death that she's not going to get her child support. Okay? Well, today she tells me she has a family reunion. Now, this weekend coming up is my weekend with the children. She tells me she has a family reunion. So there goes my Friday. There goes my Saturday. But she will drop them off on Saturday night. And they go home Sunday. And whatever, I said to myself, you know what? There's a reason why it worked out that way. It was meant to be because my, my, my hope is that on Monday I will be at a job. And it's not going to be any place for my children to be. They're going to be off from camp. It's going to be chaotic. But at the same token, my birthday is Monday. So I said to myself, you know what? It wouldn't be so bad if I have them. But if I'm working, oh well. So, but my ex-wife says, you know, instead of bringing them home Sunday, can you keep them till Wednesday? Which, again, normally if I, I, if I was at my old job, I would have took those days off. I would have took paid time off, no question about it. But she doesn't even ask me what I'm doing in terms of a job. And I had to write her back and I said, my, my, my goal here is to have a job. If I'm home, by all, by all means, I want my children with me. I'd rather they be with me than home alone. But if they're going to be home alone here, why not be home alone there? And not put them through all this. Because on top of that, she throws in. She makes sure she throws it in. Can you take her to the orthodontist on the way home on Wednesday? And I said to myself, again... She doesn't even check with me. She's just assuming that I'm not going to have a job. I don't even know what time she made the appointment for. But she went ahead and scheduled the appointment without even asking me. And I still don't even know what time it is. And, and again, if I'm off, I get it. I don't care. I'll do whatever I have to do. But you want to make... She, she made sure that she said, please pay for it. <laughs> you know, this is the things. And, and again, it'll be my responsibility no matter what. So, I, I, and again, I, I got to do these things anyway. I'm a father. 
But the way she goes about it and the way she demands these things, I, I guess the best way that I can say this is this. The last time I saw my daughter, Sarah Lee, I looked at her and I said, wait a second. I said, do you have one more hole in your ear? Is that three piercings in each ear now? And she says, yeah, mommy, let me get it. And I said, well, what does that mean? I go, why wasn't I told? Why wasn't I asked about that? She says, because you have a piercing and I just knew that you were going to be okay with it. I said, well, you're a kid. Of course you're going to say that. You know, and I, and I, I, listen, it's not easy for Mr. Joe to tell my children that they can't get piercings. I mean, I will tell you this. Although I only wear an earring in the left ear and one earring in the right, a diamond in each ear. If you look at my left ear up real close, I got a diamond, then I got three holes above that, then I got also the one up top, you know, a little, what is it? It's a little hoop up top, you know, so technically I'm only wearing two in my left, and then in my right I'm wearing the one diamond. But I also have an eyebrow piercing as well. But, you know, these are the things that I did when I was out of my parents' home. And that's what I always make sure that I tell them. When you're not living under my roof anymore, you can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, I got 30 tattoos, most of which you can't see other than the ones that are up my neck and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm also, I'm an adult. And I don't mind if those are the things that they want to do, but they're too young. They're too young. And here's what it comes down to. It's very simple. My ex-wife should have consulted with me before she allowed my daughter, or our daughter, to get an earring, a third hole. Because you better believe that if she was here and I didn't tell her, there'd be a damn war. There would be a damn war. So I'm just tired of the... I'm tired of the nonsense, I'm tired of the pettiness, I'm tired of, you know, it's almost like she knows when I'm down, kick a dog when it's down, you know, and uh, it's just very concerning, but, but you know what, I guess that's why I'm not married to her anymore, so, I, I, what I would need to do though, is I need to try to put a, a better smile on my face for my wife, here, because... You know, we're both down. We both just can't figure it out. We cannot figure it out for the life of us. And we cannot believe how a person's or a family's life can change on the drop of a dime. And I sound like a broken record here, but I'm going to say it. And, and this relates to bipolar disorder. Thinking back in my life, if I really think about some of the things that I did... And I know I always sit on this podcast and I brag about the fact that my job and my career and my employment was always super successful. And for the most part, it was. But in relationship to the children that I teach and the families that I work for, yes. But if you think about all the other things that were involved with my job, the fact that there came a time in my life where I started calling in all the time because I was too busy doing drugs. The fact that I would separate from my wife, or my ex-wife, and before you knew it, I would be sleeping with the girl in the daycare center. No, no, no ifs, ands, or buts. Wouldn't even phase me. And then, to make matters worse, when I would 
go back to my ex-wife because I would wake up from reality, either get off the drugs because I'd be withdrawing so badly, or I would come out of my manic phase and I, would real I wouldn't even realize what I had done because I'd be in mania for so long. Then I would look, I, I would run away from the girls, but then I would engage with them again and make it seem as if it was their fault that everything went wrong. And I actually thought about some of the horrible things today. Do you know there was a time that I forgot about that I didn't even report that I made some woman believe that I was going to marry her and we broke up and I and I've talked about it before. I believe it was I believe I spoke about when I uh, was doing opiates in the hotel room and I woke up and I had no idea that I was withdrawing and we spoke about it probably in opiates 101 but I never I never thought about until today the fact that when we were finally broken up and I went back to my ex-wife I tortured that young girl because I was still at the school to the point where or the daycare center to the point where I remember driving on the side of the building like a lunatic and doing circles around her car to make her think that I was going to do something to endanger her vehicle and then the next day, the security guards called the place of employment that I worked at, the, the place that I was contracting through, and they took me off the case. I forgot all about that. So I made some real, real dumb mistakes. And, and the more that I think about it, no matter which way I think about my life in terms of the decisions I made. And my God, there were so many lies. I remember, you know how many car accidents I was in? Quote, unquote, car. I mean, I should have, and, and God, God forgive me for this, I mean, I was in three horrible car accidents in less than a year, which is why for a long time my car insurance was astronomical. I came into this marriage, or at least this relationship, six years ago with a car insurance that was so astronomical and when myself and my wife and at the time she was my girlfriend decided to combine insurances she couldn't believe what we had to pay she couldn't believe it um, now thank goodness that was many many years ago and I have a clean driving record and I actually have a very good deal on my car insurance but what I'm talking about is the bipolar lying you know how many car accidents I would tell people I got into because I couldn't make it somewhere or because I was out shopping or I was doing cocaine in the car and I would go from store to store just for fun, like a psychopath, doing lines in the car, running in to, you know, whatever store it was to buy something, just to buy something because I was so manic. All I cared about was buying things and buying things. And if I didn't have money for the drugs, I'd take out a cash advance for my credit card. So ignorant, so dumb. But again, this was so many years ago, guys. You're talking about 2007, I stopped doing cocaine. And 2009 was my last opiate. So it's a long time ago. But I can still talk about it. And I can still think about it. And... Um, 
and, and recognize the fact that I made all those mistakes. And I guess that's what makes it that much harder now is because I have cleaned up my life so much and I have done, in my opinion, the most important thing of all, which is medicated myself. You know, I'm sitting in my older son's room right now because he's not here. It's with his mother. And right in the center of his room, we have a fireplace in this house. And up through his room, there is all these bricks because the fireplace runs through his room. And it looks really cool. It almost, kid almost has like a dorm room up here, man. It's like a college room. And... You know, the bricks go up through the ceiling, and that's where the chimney is. And it looks really, really nice. And I'm sitting here, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying to myself, my God, God, just a few short months ago, back in January of 2018, I was smashing my head against these bricks, crying on a suicide hotline, asking somebody to save me. And then, two seconds later, chatting it up on Twitter, like nothing was wrong, in complete mixed episodes, <laughs> laughing, laughing for a minute or two, and then crying, going through all these things until I finally realized that I can't live like this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. Now... The panic attacks that have been taking place, again, thank goodness today there were no panic attacks. There was no anxiety. Did not have to take a Klonopin. But I will say this. There were points, mostly in the afternoon, where the physical symptoms of the anxiety slash panic attacks were so bad in terms of the heart beating out of my chest that there was absolutely no way for me to control the symptoms other than to take a clonopin and believe me I tried I actually most days where that would go on I would let it linger for an hour two hours and say you know fight through this and then I would finally say what are you doing why why are you why are you doing this to yourself it's not like you're taking clonopins five times a day you're taking a point two five and that makes you feel better one time a day and again, I only used them about four or five days. I was able to stop. And before that, I hadn't used one in God knows how long. But we have to, you know, listen, we're addicts too. Many of us are addicts. So until you get off the drugs and off the alcohol and you are able to control yourself through sobriety, having many, many years of sobriety, that's when you are allowed to take a benzo, okay? Because, my dear God, there were times when I would crush that thing up and snort it right up my nose. And now, when I think clearly, I say to myself, Dear God, what was wrong with me? How could a person do that to themselves? You just, you, you can't even fathom how your mind can work. It, it's, it's insane how the bipolar mind works. The way that we make these decisions and I guess the best thing of all and I mentioned this a little while ago in terms of these panic attacks is that it really has been mind over matter it really has and I know it sounds like a simple solution 
but I need you to listen to me. And I promise you this, and I've said this before, I believe in Anxiety 101. I am no doctor. I am no therapist. I am just Mr. Joe. I'm Mr. Joe out in space talking to my audience. And I want you to feel as if I'm sitting down in your room or in your home or in your living room, wherever it might be, just talking like two regular people, two friends. And I want you to think of being one of the two friends that I helped through their anxiety. And I swear to you, it didn't, it didn't take me going into my stash of clonopins and saying, here, here you go, take this, this will make you feel better. All it took was for me to convince them that it was in their brain. That's all it was, was in their brain. And I would tell them time and time again, every day, that you can control it. These are not real things. They, they become real because you make them real. The more you worry, the more you think about the way that you feel, the more you're going to feel that way. But they go away if you just make your mind understand that you are the cause of it. Now, granted, there are things in life that are going to cause these things to happen, these anxiety, this panic attack. Hey, losing a job, death in a family, breaking up with a girlfriend, breaking up with a boyfriend, fight with your wife, fight with your husband, losing a pet, getting into a car accident, God forbid. You know, having a tree fall down, <laughs> like like uh, Becky. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, and, and as silly as that sounds, it, I'd probably, I'd be shivering in my room <laughs> for a week until the tree, and I was, I was there. I mean, I, I, I was there during a hurricane. I had um, a tree that laid down in my front yard, and it was a nightmare. I, I was so, one of the most anxious times of my life. But there's a difference between anxiety and worrying and getting, you know, having breaks during the day. Where you, you know, you worry here, you worry there, then you can watch a show, get over it, and then maybe you worry again. It's the panic attacks. When those panic attacks set in, those are the things that take over your entire life. Those are the things that cause you to not be able to function. But yet those are the things that you have the most control over. And I need you, as my audience, if you are suffering from panic attacks, to believe me, to listen to me, and, and understand that a person who went through that for nine months, a person who couldn't breathe, who couldn't drive, who couldn't walk into a store, who couldn't sleep at night, for more than five minutes at a clip until I would wake up and think that I was falling or dying and I'd wake up out of my sleep after five minutes and until the sun came up, that was the only time that I felt safe. And I would sleep the day away because I was depressed also. Should have known then that I had bipolar disorder. Should have known when I was walking around throughout college when I had soldiers walking around me. I thought it was normal. I mean, anybody who has that is going to have some panics, attacks, and anxiety. People marching around me, talking to me. But yet, even with all those things, even with 
the inability to sleep, the inability to eat, the inability to breathe, the shortness of breath, literally thinking that you were dying every minute of every day, creating all these symptoms to the point where you become a hypochondriac and you're so, you're so sick that you become physically sick to the point where Mr. Joe gave himself a urinary tract infection, literally. And now, you know, it makes sense. Now I think about it, it was probably from urinating too much or something. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, listen, that's all I know is that I had a urinary tract infection. In two days it was gone because I drank cranberry juice. But that's what I tested for, a urinary tract infection. And the doctor said at the school that I was at, the college that I was at, it was because I wore down my system so much. But you know what? Now that I think about it, if I was doing anything then like I'm doing now, I mean, and what I mean by that is I have urinated over the last 10 days probably 30, 40, 40 times a day because I was anxious. And with anxiety comes urination. Throughout this entire process when I was suspended, and then had no idea I was being terminated, then I was terminated, then I was waiting for my so-called grievance, and then I resigned. I mean, I, I had bowel issues every single day. I went to the bathroom four, five, six, seven, eight times a day. I'm not, I'm not joking. I mean, you know, so with all these things, you cause these physical symptoms to come on. And even now, you know, it's talking about the frequent urination. But you know what? I'd rather just have to deal with frequent urination than be a, like a, a, a wackadoo who used to sit on a phone and lay there with a portable phone in my hand with my fingers ready to call 911 just in case my roommates didn't make it home at the time that I thought they were going to get home. Because if my roommates made it home... If I was going to die, I knew they'd be able to take me in the car to the hospital. But if they didn't get home, I had to have my fingers on those numbers so I could call the ambulance. So imagine that going on for nine months without a break. And Mr. Joe, all it took for him was my primary care physician when I came home for a couple of weeks on a vacation or on a, you know, in the middle of semesters, was for him to look at me and say, you, you're, you have anxiety. Nothing's wrong with you. What, what do you mean anxiety? What's that? You're having panic attacks. You're fine. Get your, get your butt back to the gym. It's all in your head. I said, that's not possible. It's all in your head. I go, what does that mean? He said, please believe me. He said, I want you to realize, now that you're home, and when you go back to school, if you could just tell yourself every single time this goes on that it's all in your head and it doesn't get better, you come back and tell me and you let me know. And damn it, I did what he said and it got better. And, you know, even now that I suffer from these panic attacks, guys, they're not lasting very long. And again, I didn't even have one today. And the ones that I did, did have, 
other than the beating out of the chest, which had to be controlled through the clonopins. And I'm not saying don't use clonopins if you need them. Use them sparingly if you have a prescription for them. They're, they're for you there. They're, they're, you know, that's what they're there for. That's what they're there for. Now, hopefully you're not abusing drugs. Hopefully you're not addicted to anything right now. Believe me, listen, benzos are no fun to come off of. Xanax, Clonopin, they're not fun. They're not fun to come off of. So you need to be very careful. But, man, just listen to Mr. Joe. And I know I keep saying it over and over again. But, and, and you know what? I want you to rewind it over and over again. If you are suffering from panic attacks, please do me the favor and understand that it's all in your head. Nothing else I could say. It's all in your head. And again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. But I'm telling you right now that it's all in your head. And I'm living proof. Because once I made myself believe that and understand that and learn that and educate myself to that, they went away. So if there's anything that I want you to get out of this podcast is for those of you who are suffering from panic attacks, dealing with panic attacks, please try to take that. Take that advice. Go with it. And of course, you let me know how it's working out for you. If you have questions about it, you can always reach out to me at MrJoeBP at Yahoo.com. Or you could find me on Twitter at uh, Mr. Bipolar Joe. Please write to me. Give me an update. Let me know how you're feeling. And I promise you that I'm going to continue to update you on the way that my life is going in terms of the employment. I'm hoping down the line... <laughs> Sooner than later, I'm going to be able to hit the record button and scream out loud to my audience that I got a new job and that this is the reason, this was the path that was chosen for me. And I cannot wait to share it with you. If you are living with a mental illness and you're doing well, I ask you to continue to work hard. If you love or care about somebody with a mental illness, Please continue to support them in the best way that you know how. By the way, I called my mom. We'll talk about that next time. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness or an addiction for that matter, I need you to fight, keep fighting, keep battling, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great night, and I'll talk to you in a couple of days.